Welcome to the Cashflow Guys Podcast. Welcome to the Cashflow Guys Podcast. I hope you guys have had a great week. I hope you've been out there making it happen. This week, I want to talk about how to overcome fear of confrontation. And I'm going to say right out of the gate, guys, of all the different things that hold people back, this has got to be one of the biggest. At least for me, it was. I remember a fear of confrontation, just things not going my way initially crippled me. It kept me from getting stuff done. But I remember as a kid, uh, I learned from my dad that if I wanted something in life, I better darn sure go go get it because (laughs) nothing's going to be handed to me in life. I mean, I really needed to figure out what it was I was looking for, what I wanted to accomplish, and then I needed to get off my butt, get out there and make it happen. Dad also taught me the importance of going for the close. In other words, asking for the business, right? And a lot of people miss that. In other words, what I mean by that, well, you'll go look at a property, you'll wander around, you'll talk to people, you'll do whatever, but you never actually get to the point of asking for the business. You don't ever, you don't necessarily ask the seller to wrap this thing up, right? We happens when a lot, when I'm selling properties, I see this with the buyer's agents, the realtors and the, and the buyers themselves is what they'll do is they'll fire off an offer, put an offer together with a price and they do the, the uh, spray and pray method where they send an offer out and that's that's it. They just wait for someone to get back to them. They don't call ahead. They don't have a conversation with anybody. They don't take any time to build rapport. And I understand that you know we are supposedly in a seller's market as folks feel and things are hot and properties are going fast and I hear all the stuff on the news, but we skip over some of the most important elements. So what's left? Well, the seller or the broker and whoever, or both maybe, all they have to judge the offer by is what's written on the paper. That's it. They can't go any farther. And when we don't ask for the business, if we don't send home that close, well, it's you're going to find more often than not, you're not going to get it. Humans spend a lot of time thinking about what they want and even more time coming up with reasons about why they can't get what they want. When you think about stuff like this, it kind of takes us down a rabbit hole. It has for me of self-doubt. I start thinking, well, I want that, but oh, I don't have enough money or I don't have enough time or I'm not smart enough or I'm not tall enough or whatever it may be. We start beating ourselves up and we start thinking about all the different roadblocks that get in our way to making things happen. I know a lot of folks right now that simply just want to replace some of their income with some rental income. They can come up with all this stuff. Um, I know I've come up with a lot of the stuff myself and I'm here to tell you that there are ways to overcome it. We're going to talk about that here in a minute, but here's a couple examples of, of what I mean. Not applying for deal funding because you don't feel like you'll be approved. And a lot of times, I'll tell you a short story. I had a guy, a friend of mine, who just assumed he had bad credit, right? So he didn't finance anything for, I don't know, 15 years. He just paid cash for things. And I'm I'm not saying he's out buying Lambos. Granted, I mean, he, he would go, I don't know, buy a fishing pole and pay cash. And he just never used a credit card because he just assumed he had terrible credit. And there was a time where for him that was true. And uh, he just never used his credit. He never, he wasn't a social media guy. He wasn't a computer guy of any means. So he never used it. Any of the the credit reporting tools didn't look up at Equifax or Credit Karma or whatever it may be. Had no idea where he sat credit wise. So he, but he just assumed he had terrible credit, and that was that. So fast forward ten or fifteen years, he was out looking for a, a little four wheeler, and the salesman told him, "Well, George, you know, just why don't you just finance it? I mean, we've got zero down, uh, no interest payments for I don't know seventy two months, whatever it was. I don't remember exactly the parameters of the story, but the bottom line was he was resistant to fill out a credit application and and finance it. Now, this is not a talk about financing things or whatnot. It's just talking about how we tend to think things are a certain way without actually 
going a little further to find out that our perception of reality is, is far off. Long story short, it turns out the dude had like, a, I don't know, 800 something credit score and was able to finance the four wheeler and the rest is history. And he did fine. And he was able to do his payments. He got no interest, but he, he asked the question. So if you're out there doing real estate transactions and you haven't checked your credit in a while, you, you think you're, you're bad off and you have all these issues, maybe Take a time, if it's been a while, to visit some of these things. Take a peek and see what's going on. Now, the big one is not wanting to answer the phone when a potentially motivated seller calls because you don't know what to say. I remember the first time I started doing direct mail. And I got to tell you, I was terrified because I'm thinking, holy crap, they're going to call and I'm not going to know what to say. They're going to ask me qualifying questions like, how much money you got in your bank account? And I'm not going to know what to say. Well, I got news for you. Nobody ever called and gave me those, asked me those qualifying questions. No seller ever asked me how much money I had in the bank. No seller has ever asked me for a proof of funds letter. Only realtors do that. So if I didn't want to hear those questions, I just avoided realtors and dealt directly with sellers. Big shocker. But I spent a lot of time panicking about what a seller might think, say, or do when talking to me. So I avoided answering the phone, which was kind of dumb considering I was sending out a whole bunch of direct mail purposely for them to call me. These are the days before the internet and websites. Yes, there was a time before that, folks. But that back then, the phone rang, and the first couple times, it was like it took everything I had to pick up the phone because I'm thinking, oh, man, it's go time, and I'm not sure what to say. Being resistant to spend time with a seller that you because you fear you look stupid or by asking questions or not feeling like you know the right answers to ask. And I started realizing that I put a lot of weight on myself feeling like I, as the buyer, were the one that was under scrutiny. And I completely lost sight of the fact that, number one, the seller was as scared or as nervous as I was. That's a fact. If you think that any one of these sellers, unless Maybe there's somebody that, I don't know, is a professional home flipper and they're selling a house, two houses a month. Maybe they're not so scared. But the average home seller is terrified of doing something wrong and screwing it up. In a lot of cases, the home seller, that's the biggest transaction of their life. So you can bet your bippy, they're scared. They're nervous. They don't have time to worry about you because they're already worried about themselves. They are literally terrified. What are they terrified of? We'll cover that in here in a second. But for me, in a lot of cases, when talking to sellers, when I had that initial fear until I started working through some of this stuff, it caused me to not want to make offers on properties. I would sit there and go talk to sellers. I'd build a great rapport with them. And then I wouldn't make an offer because I was afraid of being rejected. I didn't want to upset them. I figured they'd get mad at me or hell, maybe they'd throw the offer back at me. Whatever it may be, I was in fear of rejection. It, it, terrified me. Um, I used to worry about feeling that a, a larger value deal is too big. I can't believe that got in my way because I've always been one where I like things bigger, better, better. But things used to intimidate me. Saying the words a million dollars used to sound like a monumental amount of money. How I fixed that was I went to go work for the federal government. When I went to work for NOAA, they throw a million dollars around like it's nothing. That's chump change. But there was a time that a million dollars intimidated me that it felt like that was a lot, that was excessive, that was outside of my reach, it was too big for me. I'm seeing that now, now that I'm down in the Key West market, and we're buying and selling real estate down in Key West, I'm seeing people going through this sticker shock. And these are people that, they're already well off. They're accredited investors, and they're looking at the price point going, well, it's just too expensive. I'm like, well, what does that mean? Well, it's too expensive. It's a million dollars. Right. But here's the good news. You don't have to pay cash. You can finance it. And in, in the case that where it's an income property, you're not going to pay the mortgage anyway. Hopefully your tenants will, right? That's the whole idea of income property. But when we get into that certain price points and a million dollars and up, a lot of folks start having that, those thoughts. But I'm here to tell you, everything goes the same way 
The same things go on with million-dollar houses that go on with $50,000 houses. The same levels of emotion and fear and anxiety and stress and all the different things all play in in the million-dollar price point. And sometimes they're magnifying specifically because of the price point. Fear of being rejected by a seller or a realtor because you can't afford to buy anything worth having. This is a big one for a lot of people. This is why people will sometimes avoid dealing with realtors because they don't want to be questioned or qualified. Where if they've had any experience at all, they know that talking to a seller, sellers usually won't ask you for any pertinent information. They're so busy being terrified themselves, they're going to forget all about asking you any qualifying or closing questions. So the things I just covered, those only scratch the surface, as you can imagine. But here's the reality of what's going on in the seller's mind, okay? This is the, these are the things, some of the things, this is a short list. I'm going to call it a super short list of the things that the seller's thinking. And my point in this is I want you to go through these, think about these, and it maybe will help you come to realize that, that your fear, first of all, is justified. And I frankly pat you on the back for acknowledging the fact that you have the fear. So now that we got that out of the way and you got the trophy, understand this. The seller is having their own emotional turmoil, as I said a minute ago, at the same time. And what do I mean by that? Well, a lot of sellers are feeling, will people heckle me? Or will they be mean to me if I overprice my property? I see this a lot on Facebook. And in the Facebook world, there are people out there that are nasty and mean. And the people on YouTube leave obnoxious comments and trolls and whatnot. And these are valid concerns. I just saw one recently where a guy was selling his pickup truck in some uh, you know, Facebook group. And some jerk came on there and told him that he should be embarrassed with himself for offering at that price. I'm like, what kind of jerk says that kind of thing? So needless to say, the seller of the truck is embarrassed that he obviously doesn't like that. It doesn't feel good. It's just not how to do business. So I completely understand what a seller would be going through when they're having this. And this happens a lot when people sell their home by owner. There are people, the trolls, the cowards that hide behind the computer, the wimps of the world that stand there and heckle other people. It's like, how about you offer some value, folks? Don't sit there and berate a seller for being quote-unquote overpriced or berate a broker for having something overpriced because what really matters is what a buyer is willing to pay. So why don't you shut up, break out a pen and write an offer instead, and then go ahead and prove that you can qualify to buy this thing. How about changing the perspective a little bit? So understand that those sellers, that's like the most terrifying thing in the world for them. It's like being in a crowd, getting called out as someone who's a scam artist. You know, you're ripping people off, you're charging too much. Well, what's too much? Well, if you ask 10 people, you'll get 10 different answers. And frankly, this is one of the big reasons why people choose to go with a realtor, uh, because they want a buffer between that drama and the trolls that cause it. It's a serious thing. It's a real thing, guys. How about failing as a seller? Heck, what if I put a sign out and no one shows up? What if I do an open house and people come to my house and start asking me a whole bunch of questions about my house? What if I'm getting scrutinized by everything that's going on in my house? What if I get surrounded like an angry mob of buyers that are stomping their feet, wanting justice in their house for 50% off? Who knows? All these things are probably going through some sellers' minds. It scares the heck out of people. Heck, it's scary just to let strangers into your house these days. It's been known that that's one way people cased properties to burglarize them, is they go to open houses. So can you imagine what a seller's feeling when they're there dealing with you and everybody else that's there to buy their house? It can be really scary. What if I overpriced the property? They're going to heckle me until the cows come home because I overpriced my property. Oh my God. And I'm not even saying this guy's to make light of it. I'm saying it because it's a legitimate concern. It's something that keeps people 
Heck, in some places, I, some times I'm imagining that some folks probably don't sell their house just because they don't want to go through the painful process of selling it. How do I really know that I'm getting a fair price for my property? Valid concern, isn't it? How do they know that they're getting the best they can get? Are they selling it too cheap just because they want to avoid being called out as someone who's overcharging for the property? Remember, we live in a society where everybody is a victim. Everybody's, oh, poor me. I had some chucklehead a couple weeks ago pout on the podcast. He emailed me and pouting about, I'm I'm disappointed that you said that people that smoke pot are, are not smart. I'm like, dude, out of that whole episode, that's all you took away? Are you serious? Are you that much of a special snowflake that that was your takeaway from a 30-minute episode? You just proved my point, hotshot. Here's the good news. You don't have to listen to the show. Goodness gracious. How do I really know if I'm not selling it too cheap? Think about that for a second. How does a seller know that? Are they going to go on Zillow? Well, Zillow is either too high, too low, or Lord knows what. The realtors, well, realtors aren't really trained on valuing property. They're trained to give a market analysis, but half of them don't even know how to do that. They use outdated, inaccurate methods to come up with sales prices. And a lot of cases, I've seen properties underpriced, even in today's market. I've seen properties underpriced. So as a seller, it's pretty legit to think, man, I could, somebody could just totally shortchange me by 20 grand, not even intentionally, just because of incompetence. Oh my gosh, how do I know I'm dealing with the right agent? Well, I could go get an appraisal. How do I know the appraiser is using the right comparable sales? Now, I realize a lot of these things to some of you may seem like a stretch, like I would never have all these thoughts. But understand that a lot of people do. And the folks that are having them, they're justified in having them. Because no matter what, like it or lump it, it's an emotion they're going through. It's something that they're experiencing that's going to impact you in your way or your ability to deal with them. That's why it's so ever important to try to spend some time building a relationship with people. I know what you're thinking, but dude, everything that goes on the market is sold in 24 hours, right? So what have I always said about that? How do we focus on getting leads for properties that are thinking about selling but are not yet on the market, guys and girls? You got to get to people before it hits the open market because you're right. When it hits the open market, in many cases, it's going to sell in a few minutes, few hours, few days. So the way to eliminate that from happening is to be first in line, to be there before there's even a line. That goes a long way towards making things happen. Another big thing that folks think about, sellers think about is if it sells too fast, doesn't that mean I sold it too cheap? What happens when a property goes under contract the same day it hits the market? Does that mean I sold it too cheap? Well, that's a question that's hard to answer. It's a big fat, it depends. We don't really know for sure. Nonetheless, it's a valid complaint or a valid concern, I should say. It's something worth thinking about. What if I did sell it too cheap? What if I find out that I did sell it too cheap? Can I back out of the deal before it closes? And then if I back out of the deal before it closes, what are people going to say? Am I going to have to hire an attorney? How much is that going to cost? Am I going to be hauled into court? Am I going to wind up on the, the, the evening news taking advantage of some poor home buyer? Heck, what if the buyer shows up and brings COVID into my house? Maybe your house or the house you're selling is in rough condition. Maybe you inherited it from a family member, or maybe you're just in a bad way and the house is kind of messy, or maybe it's not kind of messy. Maybe it's very messy. Maybe it's, oh my freaking God, messy. Don't discount your, don't kid yourself to think that those sellers are not at least somewhat embarrassed by that. And I know you might be thinking, well, then they should clean up their mess. That doesn't take away the fact that they're going to go through the emotion, that they're going to be scared. They're going to be nervous. They're not going to want to deal with the judgment that comes from that. They're not going to want to see those comments, those nasty comments when that property goes online. A lot of folks ask, how do I know I picked the right realtor? Or should I even hire a realtor to do it myself and save the commission? 
What about market timing? As a seller, don't you think sellers are concerned that maybe they're selling their house too early, that maybe the market's still going to go much higher? I just read before I started recording this episode that interest rates are they're supposedly coming down a little bit again. They're going to fall below 3%. I don't know if that's true or not. If it happens, then what? Well, as long as interest rates stay low, the market's going to continue to soar along. Think about landlords. And this is, this is especially important to those of you buying multifamily or buying rental property. A lot of sellers feel that buyers walking through their units, well, that'll anger, piss off their tenants. If the tenants know that some people, a lot of people think that if the tenants know the property's for sale, they're all going to move out. And I'll tell you right now, that may be the case and that may be what happens sometimes. But when if that happens, that's the seller's fault because the seller tried to hide everything instead of being transparent with their tenants and explaining to them that they have a lease or maybe they'll do a lease, that the new owner is, can't just throw them out on the street the day after they buy the property. The new owner has to honor any arrangement any legal documents or leases or, or durations of tenancy that are agreed upon at the time they took possession of the property. And what I see a lot of sellers do, and this may either help or hurt the situation, but they'll actually renew the leases with the tenants. Now, if I'm the buyer, I got a problem with that because I don't want them... A- forcing me to deal with their tenants for another year or two or however long that may take. I'm Chances are when I buy a new building, we're going to replace those tenants at some point because we're going to need to get into those units to renovate. So I don't like it when a seller plays that game and extends the leases. I just saw one down in Key West where the seller trying to, ha- trying to help the tenants extended the leases to five years. I'm not even sure if that's enforceable. I'd have to ask my boy, Sean Yesner, real estate attorney down here in Florida, see if that's even doable. I think it is if it's notarized or something or other, but that's, they're, they're never going to sell that property because it's already under rented. And they're like, well, I feel sorry for the tenant and I want to make sure they can stay there forever. I get it. Trust me. But then you can't expect to sell it and get top dollar because people are only going to pay you based on the current performance of a property, especially when you cap the performance of that property for five years. That's not too swift, guys. You can't have both. You can't have your cakey poo and eat it too. That's not how it works. The bottom line, boys and girls, is all of these things, all of these situations, all of these thoughts, all of these emotions, they all add up to one thing and that's stress. So now that I got that out of the way, I think it's fair to say that both buyers and sellers are under tremendous pressure when trying to compete a real estate transaction. doesn't matter what the current market's doing. The most effective way to overcome the majority of these issues, number one, is to be transparent. People are shocked by honesty, shocked in a good way hopefully. Be approachable. Be willing to sit down with your fellow human being, look them in the eye, and work through the process. I've said this a lot over the last couple of years of doing the show, and those of you that have taken my advice and done whatever you could to sit down with the decision maker in a transaction, whether it be in person or by Zoom, or at least get on the phone with, do something besides sending over an offer with a bunch of numbers on it. Don't be that person with a Don't be offered 24 of 25 that are in the big pile. Don't be that person. Be different. And yep, you might get the door slammed in your face. And yes, you're going to lose out on deals. But you are going to lose out on those deals anyway. I got news for you. Think about maybe now is the time. Guys, the bell is ringing. Okay, the flag is waving. It's time to get in the game. There's money to be made out here. There's opportunity everywhere. They are giving money away. This is the time to get your money moving. If you can get yourself in a position to where you can sit down and be transparent with people and you can have a conversation with them, you can put deals together. I don't care whether the market's hot, cold, doesn't matter. There are always buyers and sellers with problems to solve. In fact, in 2021, I get that this year, 2021, is a little challenging when it comes to get, getting face-to-face. And maybe you're just not comfortable being face-to-face. And you know what? That's okay. You have that right. But there's no excuse to not get in front of Zoom unless maybe there's a technological reason you can't get in front of Zoom. But if you're a practitioner, if you're somebody that's buying real estate, you're going to be a landlord or you're selling property, then I implore you to get technical. Find somebody, get a neighbor or somebody that can help you get on a computer and jump on Zoom. It's the next best thing, okay? I just met... I. 
one of my buddies. I haven't seen him for, I don't know, four years in person, but I've been meeting with him on Zoom every week for the last four years. And it was the same. It was essentially pretty much the same thing. Obviously, it's a little different, but it was the next best thing. And, and that's mo- far better than a phone call, in my opinion, far better. Use the services that are out there today, guys. There's technology tools everywhere. Every time I'm doing a deal as a realtor and I put on my broker hat, I encourage everybody to get on the phone. Let's have a dialogue and let's work things out. Let's not get excited through transactions. Let's take a minute, have a, have a good conversation, hit all the high points and put a deal together. I want active participation from all parties. These meetings that I put forth when I'm successful in bringing the buyer or seller and the other agent into the mix, that's when we put together win-win deals. That's when buyers and sellers walk away from the table feeling like they've got their best deal. There's no animosity. There's no fear. It becomes transparent. We recently had a buyer that was one of these guys that's kind of sheepish and cowardly. And he just likes to kind of be a troublemaker and everything that has to be his idea. And he refused. He didn't want to sit down with the seller at all. And he didn't want any part of it. But that's because his intent was, is that he was just a little Myron that wanted to be a pain in the ass. And he just poo-pooed this house up and down and sideways and everything. The reality of it was his wife wanted it and he didn't. And he's the kind of guy that if you, if I would have been successful in getting him in front of the seller and sitting down, he would have calmed down. He would have bought the house. And originally, eventually I should say, it would have came around to be his idea and he would have been happily ever after. But he purposely avoided any sort of potential to make eye contact with anybody, including me, and therefore never wound up buying a house. Folks, there's people like here like that out here all the time. Understand that. And I realize that for many, the thought of sitting down face-to-face with what we call the other side may be terrifying. I assure you that if you give it a try, you're going to be pleasantly surprised by the end result. The best way to overcome fear of anything, especially confrontation, is to get in front of it, to confront it, look it straight in the face, push through it. Don't run from it. Push through it. If you've been meaning to make that phone call to rekindle a relationship from the past and you're afraid of the outcome and you've spent all this time working out how the different ways this could fail, I want you to stop. I want you to take a deep breath. I want you to pick up the phone and make the call. And I assure you, it's going to work out for the best in the end. Just take a deep breath and make it happen. I realize that most people, many people maybe, simply won't agree to an open discussion. They don't want any part of the negotiation process. For them, the fear could be crippling. So be be aware of this. Be sensitive to this. There are real estate agents. Real estate agents are the ones that have the biggest problem with this. The majority of the real estate agents I deal with are completely terrified of doing any sort of in-person negotiation. The thought of it keeps them awake at night. So although I always suggest it, I'm not as successful accomplishing it as much as I'd like. And that's because for whatever reason, the agents are intimidated by the process. In my opinion, if that process intimidates you and you're an agent, then you need to get the hell out of the business. But that's just me. Or you need to figure out a way to work through it. You pick, but you got to get through it. Because to my fellow agents, it's our job to bring parties together and structure great deals where everybody wins. That's their job. No matter how you feel about this topic, I would like you to at least give it a shot. As I said a minute ago, you will most likely be shocked, pleasantly surprised, blown away on how well this simple strategy works to overcome these fears. For no other, re- if for no other reason, go through the exercise of asking. Even if you think they're going to say no, go through the exercise of asking anyway. Always remember, boys and girls, the other party, they're as scared as you are. And it's okay to be scared, but opportunities everywhere. It's time to get going. It's time to get out there and start writing offers. It's time to get out there and start raising money. Speaking of which, for those of you that are accredited investors, we have a new opportunity. We're opening an investment fund. We'll be focusing primarily in the Key West, Florida markets. We'll be buying cash flowing assets in Key West and the surrounding communities. We're also going to be doing some rehab projects, value-added rehab projects, fix and flip, if you will, down there in Key West. Lots of opportunity in that fund. 
If you want to learn more about that fund, you go to cashflowguys.com. You hit that book Tyler button. Get on my calendar. Let's have a conversation and see if you fit. Guys, have a great week and we'll talk to you next time. This concludes today's episode. You don't have to wait till the next episode to learn to earn. Head over to CashflowGuys.com and contact Tyler and his team for more powerful tips and ideas. So you can start generating multiple streams of income and escape the rat race.